Hey guys, episode number 135, we have a repeat guest and believe it or not, there's been 104 episodes between when we first interviewed Courtney Barker from Satellite Beach and this one. She gives us a couple of updates and a really interesting way they dealt with parking uh, in their community, they had beach parking. They implemented a booting system where you have to pay and the residents love it because it's freed up parking for them. The residents get to park for free. It's reduced vandalism. It's reduced vagrancy on the beach. It's really kind of a cool uh, issue. Also, Courtney talks a little bit about being in a very deep red county and having to deal with the very real and very on the ground issues with rising sea levels, water in places it should not be and never has been. And finally, she also talks about there's this persistent chemical that came from the chemical fires and what they used to put out chemical fires at Patrick Air Force Base and some of the tactics they're using to clean up these PFOSs and get them out of the water supply and working with multi-state and the federal government, multi-state agencies and the federal government to do some cleanup there. Good, good stuff. Courtney is a true uh, professional. She knows her stuff. She knows her business and she's a great podcast guest. Stay with us. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. Each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. Our guest is Courtney Barker. You may remember, if you don't know Courtney, and you're an avid listener, you got to go back 104 episodes ago. Episode number 31, I was a spry young man. It was way back in the day. And here we are, old folks, episode number 135. <laughs> Courtney, thanks for being on. Absolutely. And Thank by you. way of reminder, uh, we talked about Aaron Brockovich on the last one. You have an interesting pollution problem. Satellite Beach, Brevard County. Uh, let's get right into that because... Uh, you have a really kind of a very city manager kind of problem, uh, a, a problem in your community with groundwater and drinking water pollution by, uh, well, you, you'll tell us in a second, by a foam. You didn't cause it. wasn't your fault. But you got to provide clean drinking water to your residents. And this is the problem. Tell us a little give us a little bit of background about what this chemical is. So these are PFOS chemicals. They're perfluorinated chemicals that are... Um, what does PFOS stand for? Do you know? Perfluorinated... Uh, la, 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 la. It's, la, la, la. I thought it was. Yeah, that's the legal technical. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm definitely not but a scientist. But what's the origin of it? Oh. Um, well, they, what, they are in everything. And I have to say, you know, it's, it's difficult to describe. But they're basically... Um, there's two, PFOS and PFOA. Um, which are part of the PFOS family of chemicals, okay. and those are those were banned some time ago. Um, but they are they're prized chemicals because they create a, an unbreakable chain of carbon, and and they're done they're they're unbreakable because they use fluoride, and it's part of a molecule that's like one long chain. And what it does is it um, it it's part of most water resistant. Um, stain-resistant type products. So it's in Is this what used to be in um, that Teflon yep. spray that you put That's on correct. your couch to make sure when your kids throw up on it, you can clean it? Yep. Okay. So you can go to... Scotch um, Right. Yeah. And you can go to the store now and, and pick up 
um, frying pans, and those frying pans will say, you know, PFOS free and PFOA free, because now it's a known, um, you know, banned chemical. But it's in um, everything. And the source for you guys was the aviation putting out the fire stuff, correct. the foam that they, they created. And you're right near Patrick Air Force Base. That's correct. So they probably rockets and planes mm -hmm. and putting that stuff into the ground. And now it's in the groundwater. So what are you guys doing to, 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 to repair this problem? So we, it's, it's almost impossible for us to repair it. We can't we don't have the funding sources to go in and clean this chemical out of the lagoon. We are right next to the Indian River Lagoon. It is now showing up into the into the river. It's been there for a while. It's showing up in the sediments in the river. Um, it's in our groundwater as we speak. But it, I have to say, Satellite Beach is not alone in that. It's everywhere. It's all over the world. You can go to the top of Mount Everest and find that chemical because it's of coming off people's water-resistant clothing. Oh, interesting. Um, so it's all over the world. It's a worldwide problem. Um, and by the way, for anybody who doesn't know this, the top of Mount Everest is a, uh, a, a disaster. It is a pollution disaster between there's no wastewater treatment up there, but there's a lot of people who climb it every mm -hmm. year and destroy it. And I've seen photos. I had a friend who attempted the the ascent and it's awful yeah they leave their uh, trash and you've taken the most remote part of the world the most difficult place to get to and you have destroyed it people you have turned it into a city gutter we're but, really good at that as humans aren't I we i know right <laughs> we're so good at that um so so but that's that's part of what i, I want to get to which is so you have to be collaborative in the region you have to fight for money you have to f work with other agencies. How, what are some of the steps you're taking to make sure this, well, you know, you get it in the, in the lagoon, but it's also in the drinking water. It's showing up some in a, a small form in our drinking water. Um, our water utility has done what they can to try to figure out where it's getting into the system. But it's been, it's been a very difficult issue. Um, it is, it's virtually everywhere. There's very few um, technologies out there that can, remediate this chemical um, and, or make it go away. So basically you can filter it out with carbon filters, but the filters have to go somewhere too. And so it's very difficult to um, remediate. It's, it loves water, so it sticks to water very well. And That's so it moves. The, the whole idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Patrick Space Force Base is actually the third most contaminated base in the nation. And, and it's... Um, it's, it's a difficult issue to navigate because the base is a huge economic generator for us. We yeah. partner with the base on everything. We're right next to them. So we we work with them. I probably talk to people from the base two or three times a week. Um, so we're very big partners with the base. So we, it's hard to... And know, i got to believe your off-campus housing uh, is a lot of military yes. who are actively working at Patrick is living exactly. satellite beach. And we actually well. have military housing inside our city limits. Oh, interesting. And so we... Um, and we, we partner with them a lot on recreation, you know, items, all, all kinds of things. So it's difficult to be in an adversarial relationship with the, with the base and the military because they're such big partners with us. Um, but we have been to Washington, D.C. to try to get, you know, funding dedicated to that base. Um, but we're also kind of in the queue with other communities that are fighting even bigger contamination, water contamination problems. But the, what's changed since 2018 when we first um, started testing for this chemical was um, when we first started going to Washington in 2019, 
we were like looked at like like we were crazy. People, a lot of the legislators that we met with had no clue what this chemical was. Um, today, they're totally different. You know, that's part of that journey, right? You have mm -hmm. to first educate people yes. before you, you know, and, and, and you're right. And just, it's hard to believe in 2019, which wasn't that long ago, you were having to convince people that these chemicals were dangerous. Right. Uh, and then from there, we need right. money. We need a plan. We need to get rid of it, you know, as as we can to extract it. Yeah. Kind of an interesting long range challenge. And it was it was interesting because it was about three years ago when the league, Florida League, took up the issue of PFOS as a legislative priority, and that next year the state passed a bill to require the DEP to create remediation standards, and that was a huge huge leap for our state. I couldn't believe how fast they reacted, yeah. actually. Um, but the federal government has been slower, clearly. Um, they have been dedicating a lot of funding to DOD sites and cleanup, but they are prioritizing areas that have significant drinking water problems, which we don't qualify for okay. at this point. But we are um, continuing to, you know, go to Washington, start, you know, keep fighting for those funds. The good thing is that our even our federal legislators are very supportive and we're we're working on an earmark right now a federal earmark to put um, that be bill posey yes yes huge, i go back a long way with bill yeah a huge supporter of, of of this issue and trying to make sure that we're keeping our children safe and we're he's uh, agreed to sponsor a earmark to put uh, water filtration systems in all of our schools so it's it's been a journey and i could say you know I mean, four years ago, we were looked at like we were nuts, and now we're, you know, finally getting some things done. That's kind of that, cool. I, I, yeah. What I love about that story, too, shows that the cities and city governments on the leading edge, uh, not the other way around. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're not the tail, we're the dog here. We're, we're the ones, you know, making things happen. Uh, I love that. So, which is a nice segue into... You're an interesting community, and you got water on both sides. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're. I guess you're on the barrier. What yes, used to be the barrier, barrier island. island. Mm -hmm. What and and you're dealing with a lot of flooding issues. Uh, so let me get into this this question, which is, uh, I've done a lot of work in Brevard County. I know it's a very deep red community, very politically uh, and culturally conservative, uh, and those are two very very different things. You got a lot of engineers, a lot of former military, et cetera. But yet you have to deal with the impacts of rising sea levels. You have to deal with the impacts of, you know, pollution in the Indian River Lagoon. Um, you know, it's funny when you talk to folks, when you talk about, I want to be an environmentalist. Well, when I think of environmentalists, they go, oh, save the Everglades, save the whale, save the, the um, uh, polar bears, uh, don't club baby seals, abstract concepts. Uh, but for you, saving the environment is literally on your streets. Tell us about some of the programs you're working on, some of the challenges. And I want to talk about the communication challenges to a very red community. And, and that's, it's a, it's a great question because when we started, the city started doing a sea level rise study back in 2009. And this did you call it that? They did. They called okay, it a bravely. sea level rise study. And I was not working with the city at the time. I was working for the city of Titusville at the time. And I remember opening the newspaper. And I'm a city planner by background. So doing resiliency work should You're be part of my DNA. You're also an anthropologist by background. So that's true confessions <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> but, but, you know, doing doing things like that, like those studies, should not come to us, you know, be surprising to me. But I, I honestly looked at it and said, what on earth is a city looking at sea level rise for? That's so weird. Yeah. And, 
And then I, you know, time passes and people start, you know, really paying attention to climate change issues. And when I started with the city in 2013, we began embarking on a big grant to do more, a, a better study, a more in-depth study for a, basically a vulnerability study with better data and um, come up with some policies. And so we had a workshop and that first workshop, it was so interesting because we put climate change workshop on the marquee of our community center. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen that picture of that sign on presentations of other people doing resiliency presentations because of the fact that we just called it that. We didn't say resiliency. I know. We didn't we, say we became flooding. Come to, oh, sustainability, yeah, right. resiliency, hardening, you know, right. all these things to yeah. say to avoid those hot language, right. that hot language, which is important because yeah. you got to go where people are. You can't just, you know, I'm not going to get in an argument with you about climate change. What I'm going to get in an argument with is what can we do about the flooding in our street? Right. Because right? that's your responsibility. So for, for us, we, we had, we would, it just, I don't know if you could consider this lucky, but it was kind of lucky for this event. We had a major deluge like the day before, and there's the, the entire parking lot of our community center was underwater by a foot. And climate change <laughs> conference canceled due to excessive right. flooding in the <laughs> so so all those pictures came out, and so we actually had a very good attendance at this workshop, and we really only had two or three people that were consistently arguing with us about you know whether the climate change was real, was it, you know, this is a hoax, you know, that type of attitude. And I finally just said, look, we're not here to argue about whether this is real. It is real. This is what happens. And, you know, you can argue all day long about what causes it. I don't really care, but we have to deal with what's happening. I've got water in the street. I got backflow problems. I got valves that used to flow, you know, that need to be put in because water's coming into people's neighborhoods. I got to fix it. I got crumbling seawalls, city of St. Augustine, you know, crumbling seawalls, people, economic issue, you know, if we don't address it. And it's, it's a waste of money to, and this is what I explain to people. It's a, it's what, what I try to explain to people when they say doing all these studies is a waste of money. I say, you know, I'd rather spend $270,000 doing this major study and all these plans and be able to plan long-term because when you put a pipe in the ground, it's there for 75 years. And the last thing you want to do is 20 years later, pull out the pipe and replace it with a bigger one because you didn't plan good enough. And that's what I try to explain to people. That's why we do these studies. That's why we do these plans is because you want to save money. The last thing we want to do is get 10 years down the road and go, gosh, I wish I had a plan. Well, and that's the dilemma you face both as a local elected and as a city manager in that if you're going to let just build a road. Um, people would just put asphalt down, just pat it down and put some asphalt down. Well, great. In five years, that road will be gone. But you know what? With the turnover we have in local elections, with turnover you have, I'll be gone too, so screw you. As opposed to a, a responsible person like yourself would say, I want to build this road to be here for 75 years. I want to build this sewer pipes to be here for 75 years. And if the, the sea level is rising or water is intruding, then uh, I need to look forward to that, not just to fix the problem for today and tomorrow. And, and, and you know, isn't that with everything? It's, uh, it's expensive in the short run, but cheaper in the long run right. if you do it right. right. Uh, and that's got to be the challenge, especially in a fiscally conservative community, which exactly. is I'm going to have two bids on building a road or building in these valves on, the, on these canals or uh, such and such. And, you know, it's our instinct to go with the lowest bidder. Right. But if the higher bidder says, I'm going to build this to a 75-year standard uh, right. versus it'll be done in 25 years, that's, 
you know, a better investment right. for the community. That's what I tell my staff. We don't want to step over a dollar to pick up a nickel. You know, so we want to make sure that we do it right the first time. And that's, you know, that when we when I explain that to the community, I would say 99% of them are good with it. In fact, I have climate change meetings now where I get no pushback at all. Uh, we, had, we had recently a, a big meeting about how we're going to change our zoning codes and, uh, you know, do we want to elevate structures? And I had probably about 70 people at that meeting, which is pretty good for yeah. a community meeting. And we, we are small enough city so I can send out letters directly to every resident. To, and usually when I do that, they're like, ooh, I got to be at this meeting. Yeah. Um, but they, they, none of them sat and argued why we're doing this. They sat and talked about how we should do it. And oh, that, was, that, that was definitely a different change from, you know, uh, six, seven years ago. So you, you know, I, so what's the lesson? What's the lesson for people who are facing that kind of challenge from, from your perspective, Courtney? I would just play the long game, wear them down, <laughs> you know, keep, keep explaining the logic behind it. And, and I always try to make sure people understand, like, you know, my responsibility doesn't end with my tenure, in my, in my opinion. My responsibility, sure. you know, ends with, um, you know, my children being able to live there well and, and you know, leaving a good... Um, set of, you know, infrastructure and leaving good policies behind when I leave. And, and so I, you know, making people kind of understand that that's their responsibility too, as a community member, you want to leave it better, um, for your children and for the future generations. Does, does, do any of these projects require you to go to the ballot and raise bond money or increase taxes? Uh, and, and how's that being met? Not really, because, um, I have not had to take out a bond measure for any of these projects. Um, there are so many grants out there for resiliency right now. The state of Florida has really came to the table with resiliency money. You can get big implementation grants. In fact, I got a $5 million grant to move my uh, fire station from out of a flood zone. You know, and, and you're on the Indian River Lagoon, and, you know, once upon a time, the solution to pollution was dilution. And now we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's no longer a good model. The solution to pollution is clean it, pack it, filter right. it, store it. Um, and so we used to put wastewater treatment plants mm -hmm. on uh, water outflow areas. And now we're moving those plants and doing deep well injection and cleaning up before we send it back into the earth. Uh, really expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, I am glad, I, you know, uh, people give uh, this governor and this legislature a hard time. And for many things they do, they deserve that. Their, their encroachment on home rule, I think they very yes. much deserve that hard time. But I got to give them kudos on the resiliency initiatives, mm -hmm. the sustainability initiatives. Uh, and they're addressing real in real time with real dollars, climate change issues. Yeah. Uh, and you guys are getting that money down. How big is Satellite Beach? Uh, we're about two square miles. We're uh, 11,000 people, 11, about, almost 12,000 now. And how big is your staff? Uh, I have 159 employees. So do you have the capacity to have grant writers on your staff to, to bring down some of these dollars? Because a lot of smaller communities don't. I was curious, how do you handle that? So a lot of our staff members, like in each department, will write up their own. And then I have one staff member that works in City Hall who's just really good at writing grants. And he massages all of it and makes it pretty. So department A will write it and, yeah. and, and, and get all the this details. Guy's job is to pretty it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And Interesting. he's very, very good at, at, at what he does. And he wrote the entire grant for the, for the fire station. And that was, that was a big deal for us to you get know, that. That's, that's a lot of money. And the other, the other trend is to lift buildings, which is kind of cool. 
Uh, I was having dinner one day with a guy who did it for a living, and mm-hmm. they lift hotels. They're talking mm-hmm. about literally lifting and moving the breakers. You oh, wow. The breakers, it's what, as big as a stadium. Mm-hmm. It's wide and flat. I said, yeah, we can do it. We can yeah. build and move anything. I'm surprised you guys are moving your uh, fire station, not just putting it up on stills. Um, no, we're moving it totally out of the flood zone. Um, it's right on the river. It, it's actually a waterfront fire station. <laughs> um, what was it built? It was built in the 80s. Okay, because, you know, there's a, uh, a jail that is on the New River in Fort Lauderdale, and it was put there in the 60s because in lieu of air conditioning, you got the natural ocean breeze. And now it's, you know, super-duper <laughs> prime property. I was just curious as, like, back in the day, oh, there's bugs and stuff. Right. But 80s wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's not an old building. It's definitely too small for the current fire department. Um, so we were contemplating adding a floor. And once we started getting the vulnerability studies back and we're seeing the flood zones and... Again, what, looking to the future. Right. I was like, do we want to put, uh, you know, another floor on a building that we might have to move in 20 years? So we had Stetson University come out and do elevation st- certificates for us, and they wrote up a big recommendation to, to not not improve that building. So You know, one of the challenges, I know, like in Cocoa Beach several years ago... A lot of hoteliers were, you know, they, those were motels back in the day that were built, and they were on the ground, and they're constantly being flooded because of uh, mm-hmm. rising sea level, and they passed an ordinance to allow them to raise those up. And the problem was this. It was interesting. I don't know if you guys are dealing with any of this. People want to keep the high mm-hmm. low, right? So they had a 40-foot uh, cap mm-hmm. and because we don't want to be Fort Lauderdale. Right. And uh, I was like, wait a second, from going from here to there. So we were able to convince the public that let us create base flood elevation Mm -hmm. so that we can build these things up and then give us the accoutrement. So you can have a true four-story building because once you add in the air conditioning units, blah, 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 you couldn't build a hotel that would make any money. Uh, are you dealing with any of the kind of height ordinance issues? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and goes, you want to elevate, but you got height. Yes. So now you change the height. Tell me, so, tell me a little so bit about So we that. actually have a charter provision that does not allow us to increase height or density in our land development regulations without going to the voters. And that's been an incredible challenge for us because you're you're constantly, whenever you're talking about resiliency and elevating structures, yeah. you're you're are, are also discussing the cult, the character of your community, and right. you know that fear of of change is is debilitating to some people. And I get that comment all the time. We're good, we're not gonna we're gonna become Fort Lauderdale, and I'm like, no, I'm talking about ten feet higher than thirty five feet. So we're talking about forty five feet. The highest you have a building. Thirty five foot limit. Yep. Yeah. And the highest. Well, we have thirty five feet west A one A. The ocean front has eighty. Okay. And um, but we when we get to you know, public meetings, I have a picture of the tallest building in Fort Lauderdale. And I'm like, we're not going to become this. You know, we're talking about 45 feet here. And and that makes people kind of calm down and put it in perspective. But um, we get that comment and that fear quite a bit. Um, we do think we're going to have to go to the voters. And I, I don't know if it, it'll pass, but we're going to definitely give it a try. I mean, we we have to. We have to be, do something. If we get a Cat 5, even a Cat 3 or higher, 
the storm surge would wipe out. So what we did in Cocoa Beach on this, we had the same thing, a high level of resistance. We don't want to become Fort Lauderdale. I, I jokingly say Cocoa Beach, what they want, they still want to be able to sit on the water and get a 495 grouper sandwich. Yes, Okay. Uh, Apalachicola, they, I was down there recently and I was getting a boat and this guy said, man, I just want it to be the way it was. And I'm like, dude, you can't go back. Right. Now you have all these dilapidated, abandoned buildings on the water. How about we do a nice improvement, do it the way it should be? Um, but what we, what we, um, when we promoted the, the uh, Cocoa Beach initiative, we talked about keeping Cocoa Beach, Cocoa Beach. In other words, we ran against Fort Lauderdale. We ran against that this ordinance will help preserve forever our, the character of this community. So promoting the change as status quo. Right. Right. And it was just a little change, but we didn't say we're changing it. We talked about preserving the, what you love about Cocoa Beach. Now, even with that, we barely passed it. I think we got 52 yeah. percent of the vote and it was vital. Otherwise, one hotelier had five hotels on the water and they were all on the ground. And he says, I, I, I you know, I, I, my insurance companies are going to triple my rates now because I keep having to make claims because water flows in and we can't build a wall. Understandable. Right. Uh, but all we want to do is go up and then count to 45 feet from there. Right. Uh, and it was, it was successful. Something like yeah. you guys have the same thing. Yeah. And I remember when Cocoa Beach went through that, we were yeah. watching that pretty carefully and closely because we're basically going through the exact same issue and the same, you know, fears from the community. And it's interesting too, because I grew up in Satellite Beach. So I remember all the things that used to be there. And right now we have a hotel coming in, um, on the West side of A1A and, you know, our city purchased, we own 40% of our beachfront and that's in preservation lands. And um, so we purchased the oceanfront and now we pushed the development on the west side of A1A and that was part of our, you know, long-term resiliency strategy. And the hotel's coming in and we have people, you know, we don't need a hotel. And I'm like, well, you know, where this condominium building here across the street from Publix, that used to be a hotel, it was Ramada. And I used to work there when I was a kid. <laughs> so, um, you know, the longer term residents have seen the change. So to, to me, they're the easiest to deal with. It's the newer residents that just moved here that said, wait a minute, I moved here because I liked it the way it is. I don't want it to change. Oh, no, no. I just got down from New York and now mm -hmm. I don't want all those right. damn New Yorkers yeah. to come down. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting, the, the vehemence from people who just moved here to, you know, moved to my city two or three years ago, as opposed to somebody who lived there all their lives. No, and, and the irony is they'll complain, they, I don't want a hotel, and then you'll get call up and say, all these Airbnbs are coming into my community and I hate it. I'm like, well, you stopped the hotel. Right. And we're, people got to come here. They got to work at Patrick, they, you know, visiting whatever, you know, you got a contract, you got to go, you know, I need a place to stay. Right. Uh, and yeah, you got to accommodate that. It goes to the, let's grow, but let's grow the correct way. Right. Right. So uh, anything new in the last two years in Satellite Beach? Uh, we were just, you interview? know, we're just embarking on probably one of the biggest um, public works, you know, civil engineering remodeling of the whole city right now because of the ARPA funds. Um, a lot of stormwater projects going on, but we did just implement paid beach parking. Um, so How's that's that going? been. And uh, you still have your job. Whew, I, I'm hoping I'll have my job after this next election. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a challenge. We are are. Our model for the paid beach parking was um, instead of ticketing, we used uh, demobilization. 
so people actually get a, a boot on their vehicle instead of a ticket. And um, we came that's up with very, that. And that's very popular. Yeah, it's very popular. <laughs> to disable someone's vehicle. Um, it's interesting, too, because the boots themselves are striped red and white, and people are calling them candy canes <laughs> on social media. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting because most of my residents are all favor, in favor of it because now they can get to the beach. And the, it, the idea for paid beach parking came from the community. People were coming to the council meetings upset because they, they're paying for all these facilities with their taxes, and they can't find a place to park. Um, and that... You know, so they were like, can we just implement paid beach parking? So we put together an ad hoc citizens committee and they came up with, you know, how to how to do it. But, um, yeah, the people who don't live in the city um, who get booted, I get quite a few. I would imagine they're very happy about that. You're on vacation, you're coming down, you got to get back to work or you got to get back the next day and you got to boot on your car because you didn't, you let your, you let your ticket, you let your parking time expire. And there, you know, the attendance are pretty good. Like, so if you let it expire, if you pay park, pay for parking, you get a text message, Hey, it's, you know, you got 15 minutes up. You might want to put some more money in, you know? Um, And and so it, it works really well that way. It's really people who just thought that they were going to get a ticket and we're going to, you know, crumple it up in their hand and throw it on the ground. Because I live up in Jacksonville, yeah, exactly. And they're not going to pay for it. So um, we wanted a more effective way of enforcement, and that's what we came up with. Yeah, big signs, you will be booted if you, yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. And and there's, you know, when you do a program like this, we we have 16 beach accesses, and we had to order 276 signs for this program to put the signs across wow. throughout the parking lots and everything. And when people email me and, you know, after they're angry because they got booted and they say they didn't see the sign, I was like, how did you not see the signs? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see the sign because I wasn't looking. Right. I was at, uh, I like to go uh, bike riding at night and uh, they put up a big new sign at, a, at the wildlife refuge I like to go to. And it now says daylight use only. I, I didn't see that sign, <laughs> and I'm never going to see that right. sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's purposely uh, not right. hearing it. Um, Courtney, last question. Tell us something cool about Satellite Beach we don't know. Um, cool about Satellite Beach. Actually, a lot of people don't know this, but Satellite Beach is the best surfing area on the East Coast, hands down. And your celebrity husband? Yes, and he's a surfboard shaper. But we, I, you know, I never, I, I, I love the fact that they call it a surfboard. He makes, he, when you said surfboard shaper, I thought, well, he's, he's at the end of the assembly line and I need a special curve or a special thing. No, he makes them. Yeah. He takes a block of styrofoam, shapes it into a surfboard, you know, and glasses it and, um, he does it all, but it's all, they're all custom boards. Does he always smell like fiberglass? No, actually, you know, they use epoxy resin now. Okay. Um, so it's very clean. It doesn't stink. It's actually not even considered a hazardous chemical. Um, now, fiberglass is, <laughs> but um, you definitely don't want to get that stuck in your skin. But other, other than that, it's, it's, um, he comes home with, you know, foam dust all over him. But. And you guys are literally in the shadow of all the rocket launches. And yes. You get to see a lot of them. Does that ever get tiring? Um, no. In fact, sometimes you don't, there's so many now. I mean, like sometimes two or three in one day. And what, what's still surprising to me is the sonic boom when you don't know that the launch is happening and you're sitting in your, in your house and all of a sudden everything (laughs) starts shaking and you're like, what the heck? And, and you realize it's a sonic boom. But, um, but that's, 
you know, the launches are always really cool, especially the night launches. I agree. Very, very I, you pretty. know, I've seen, I've not seen as many as I should. Uh, I was actually going to see the test launch. Um, it got canceled and I wasn't going to come back at four o'clock in the morning. Thank you very much. But uh, when you see one, it's always, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy who sets on my phone, you know, the, uh, when the ISS is coming over and I still will rush outside yeah. to watch it. But seeing a rocket launch, which I may have only seen three or four in my whole life, uh, we were actually at an FCCMA conference mm -hmm. in, in Brevard and we got to, everybody said, come on outside, yeah. there's going to be a rocket launch. It's always cool. I just didn't know if you're yeah. local, you're like, you know, you can talk to New Yorkers who've never gone to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty. I wonder if people who live in East Brevard are... I don't, I don't think anybody gets tired of it. Tired I think of we're, it. we're just like really proud of it. I mean, it's just yeah. so neat how we went from, you know, Challenger launches to a launch every week. And... Um, you know, going out and seeing a night launch at least once a month is really neat. And we also, since we're next to an Air Force base, you know, we have fighter jets flying over us all the time. And also, yeah, really, it's cool. really cool. Really <laughs> cool. I don't feel, people, oh, it makes you feel safe. No, I don't feel any safe. I just think, whoa, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I hear the Top Gun music playing. The, hel in my head. the helicopters, and, that's right. you know, that's, that's really right. neat. It's like you're at a permanent football game. Right. <laughs> but they're flying stuff over. Yeah. Well, Courtney, Courtney Barker um, is the uh, city manager of the City of Satellite Beach and a repeat guest uh, with 100 episodes in between. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. Really Absolutely. appreciate Absolutely. Thank it. you. Folks, this is Steve Van Cor, and this has been the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Now, if you'd like to submit uh, a, a, either a question or recommend a future guest, and it doesn't have to be uh, a city or county employee. As you know, we've had special speakers come on. We had the uh, guy who worked with uh, AI. Uh, we had Sam Silverstein on about motivational speakers, different uh, aspects. So if you have a guest you'd like to recommend to us, we had our traffic circle guy on all the way from England. It was really cool. Uh, send me an email at svancore at vancorejones.com. Thank you so much for being with us.